Hi, this is Britton LaRue. This is Moon to Moon, where we talk about how cycles and patterns can help us make small shifts that lead to transformation, renewal, regeneration, empowerment, and more pleasure in our lives. So in this episode, I'm going to be sharing with you my forecast for Capricorn season 2020 into 2021. And as usual, I give a, a strong front end of that to recentering to where we've been and you know where we are at the time that I'm sharing this. And then I move into sharing with you my forecast, which will include a long discussion of the solstice as well as the Saturn-Jupiter conjunction that's happening on the solstice, which is a once in every 20 years event. So if you are new to these, I kindly request that you listen intuitively rather than analytically. And this is something that I say all the time. And let me just repeat it. When we listen analytically, which is what we've been trained to do, what we are doing is we're trying to make sense of, to process, to get our head around everything that we're hearing. And in the process, we tend to level everything that we hear to the same degree of importance in order to prioritize categorization and um, making sense. And the reason that that's not very helpful when you're listening to someone talk about astrology is because A, that's really exhausting. Especially if you're new to astrology, it really is another language and you're training your ear. You're training your ear to get used to this language. And so it'll just be very, very frustrating if you're trying to make sense of everything when so much of it is like new vocabulary, new phrasings, stuff that's like put in an unusual way and your brain just gets really tired really fast and you might just walk away from it because it feels too overwhelming. It's also not very helpful because when you're listening to astrology, what you really want to do is to attune to what would be most helpful to you. What, what do you need right now? And you'll know that it's helpful to you because it resonates in your body. You feel something in your body. Sometimes that feels uncomfortable. If the body clenches, that's actually really good information for you because it means that that was for you. Uh, and you can slowly move into like, why is this uncomfortable, right? But if it doesn't feel like anything, if it's just information, then it's actually probably not something you need. And then you just don't have to worry about it. So it's like a more gentle, soft way to receive information is to just attune to what dings and not worry about the rest of it. So fill yourself then with the highest levels of trust that you will receive what you need to receive from this forecast. Before I begin, I want to share some announcements from my sphere, my world. So since I last created a forecast for Sagittarius, I was intensely finishing new workbooks on the signs in my Living the Sign series, as well as finishing revisions for all the older books and the reprints of books that are sold out. 
Over the course of creating the Living the Sign series, me and my collaborator, Angela, we came to realize ways to format the book, ways to present information that would be more and more helpful and more and more clear to the reader. And so at the beginning, last spring, everything was just an experiment. And those books are gorgeous still, and they stand alone. However, we did want to make revisions to give everything this kind of clear um, clear template that the reader can get used to. Because the idea really is to buy many of them or all of them because that way you enter into that part of yourself that is that sign. So I've been very busy with that. I've been busy with um, a lot of fear because the printing company uh, just stopped communicating with us and I didn't know where my books were and I didn't. I had to tell a lot of buyers that they were going to have to wait. Never had this issue with them before. It was unexpected and kind of a... Um, uh, a bummer (laughs) but I am starting to hear from them now and things are shipping to me now and we're moving forward it's just definitely not what I visualized the leading up to the holiday period to look like I thought I would be handing my books to people and that's been like a, a real hard thing for my ego and a real hard thing for my brain to accept. And now we're moving forward and it's going to be okay. If you're waiting for your book, thank you. I can't believe how gentle and wonderful everyone has been that I've reached out to to say, I'm sorry, your book's going to be later than I thought. I mean, across every single person has been so sweet about it and even just like, affirming and comforting to me sharing their own experiences about the struggles of being a small business owners and having to wait for shipments and things like that so thank you thank you also to everyone for your patience with usps i am not amazon i can't give people overnight shipping for free (laughs) and um you know i have to compete with that and I appreciate not being resented. I appreciate people just understanding that that is totally out of my control. All I can control is that as soon as I have your book and as soon as you order it, I ship it. That's my job. It's just within 24 hours of getting the email, I've got it out the door for you. (laughs) Thank you. It's been a a real doozy finishing such a huge project and letting myself kind of collapse. The the silver lining of not having books to promote and ship the last few weeks is I've been able to take more baths, laugh with my daughters, shop for gifts for people I love, and just kind of let myself be without anything to do with that for a little while, which has felt weird, but also... um, good for me to uh, step into my other identities, right? So other things coming up, um, several. One is something I'm already doing, which is that this is the time of year when I'm deep in year ahead readings. This is one of my favorite things to do for people. I've come up with the structure for this. That is what I do. I've never received this from anyone else. I just felt like this would be something I would want to receive. So I started doing these a year ago. They're very popular. I do them all year. 
But of course, moving into a Gregorian calendar uh, new space like January is really an ideal time for this. So it's 35 minutes of me telling you the energies that you will most be in and the teachers you will most be with um, astrologically in the coming year. I give you lots of suggestions about how to attune to what's coming and how to ask yourself questions and how to um, be present to your lived experience as they are, it is showing up. And then I give a 25-minute seven-card tarot reading where I talk to you about using those cards as your teachers and your guides for the year and just to follow these teachings. So it's really a rich offering. I, I take it very seriously. It's a high honor for me to work with somebody's chart and to be with the intimacies of intention. And I, I recommend that people take it, listen, and then listen again, and then listen again, and again, and again throughout the year. Because a lot of times what you hear it when you first receive it you haven't lived it yet so it's it's only it's only like a glimmer for you and then it helps when you listen later because then you oh yes this was what she had been talking about and now i'm here i am i'm in it and now i have this i can lean on and so the investment just comes back and comes back and comes back to you the more you take the time to return to it so I'm deep in that right now. I do have availability in January to take more. I'll just take it down from my site if it start if I start to be overwhelmed with it, um, and then bring it back in the spring or sometime when I've been able to take a break from it for a little while. But I definitely can take more now. So I encourage you to do that. You can also gift it, and I can just send the email to the person saying you're going to get this, and then you don't have to worry about shipping anything. And um, you get to give this, this person you love who loves astrology the gift of something they can lean on all year round. Here are some of the wonderful words that I've heard from people who love the year ahead reading. This is just a fraction of the things that I've been given. So HL says, this will be my third year ahead reading and I can't wait. I love them because it helps me to validate how and why I'm feeling the way I am, helps me plan when to work less and take care of myself more, and it's just a great guide to walk you through the year. I look at them as a significant part of my overall well-being. Britain is incredible. Thank you. You know who you are. Um, I often get responses like this one I recently got. Thank you. This hit home so much, and the tarot reading was beyond accurate. Thank you, CM. Your 2020 year ahead reading accurately predicted the emotional temperature and major themes for me in such eloquent, expansive language. Throughout the year, the reading served as an anchor to help me contextualize both collective and personal events. Appreciating the big picture arc through astrology opened my eyes to the possibilities that exist, even when I felt stuck in my day-to-day -day experiences. I highly recommend it for those committed to living with greater intentionality and affirming their co-creative potential. Thank you, JK. <laughs> I have learned over the last two years to listen and to honor my knowing, which has created a powerful pull to make some overwhelming and bewildering life changes. 
my year ahead reading with Britain has proven invaluable, as repeatedly revisiting it in times of uncertainty has reassured me that my journey is unfolding as planned. I had found comfort... I have found comfort, strength, and the confidence to trust what I know to be true, that I was born to be on this messy, liberating, non-traditional path to self-discovery, leadership, healing, and joy. Thank you, AL. I'm actually working on on your next one today or tomorrow, I promise. (laughs) And finally, I'm going to share this one. I got my reading just as we were starting the new year, 2020. At this point, I was being called into deepening my understanding of astrology and connecting with my intuition. It was a lovely and gentle way to start the year, and it left me with a sort of map that I would fill out myself with my own intuition and my own life experience. Britain worked me through some major aspects that would be affecting me throughout the year. At the beginning, if you just start If you're just starting out with astrology, as I was at the time, some of these concepts can sound a little abstract and hard to grasp. But I love how Britain encouraged you to trust and feel into things and not just to try to understand the concepts intellectually. This in itself is a great exercise for most adults. And as I've witnessed myself, it can really help with activating and trusting your own intuition. The best part for me was when I listened to the recording six months afterward and now listening to it almost a year later. Just wow. I think that many of the gifts were received as I listened to it retroactively and could pinpoint areas where Britain's words and my lived experience had intertwined in a beautiful and cosmic way. What else can I say? I highly recommend this reading. Thank you, MR. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who supports me with this offering. Um, It really is a gift from my heart to you. It's not anything you need an appointment for. Um, sometimes in the year, if I can, I do accommodate a consultation before these, but in this busy period of the year, these are just, you order it and then it just comes to you when I can get to it. I do it in the order received. I can't do more than two a day. I really only try to do one a day and I can't even do one a day every day because what you have to understand about a reading is that, especially if I'm recording it, is there is nothing else that's happening. Like I am 100% paying attention to what I'm doing for you. I am like using all of my gifts as an intuitive. I am completely deep in. And then I have to recover when it's over. Not a lot. I mean, really eating some food and walking around is, is what I need. But it is a rare thing for, for someone to give you their full presence for an extended period of time. And this is what I practice most and I call in most for what I give, is that it feels deeply present and uh, like it, it has a foundational quality for you where you, you, you can fall into it. Does that make sense with my voice somatically? So if that's resonating for you, I hope you will consider snagging one before I reach capacity for January. And yes, the other things I would announce, I have um, a really exciting bit of news, which is that I'm starting a Patreon community. I can barely say it. It's so exciting. Um, More to come in my newsletter. I'm going to do a slow rollout so I don't get overwhelmed by it. 
But if this is something that sounds wonderful to you, I'm going to have many different levels so that uh, supporting it and receiving from it is something that people can access no matter you know where they are financially. Um, and then also my seating the yearbook. The seating the yearbook really goes hand in hand beautifully with the year ahead reading because it's you with yourself in this gorgeous book designed by Angela. It's in color. It's our first color project. It's just divine. And it has a new section called Tending the Year to help you work with it year round. Um, really just being with the rhythm of cycles and being with the rhythm of intention, trying to co-create with your will and with the universe, the life you want to live. We're going to have a Zoom workshop on it in January. Stay tuned. And I highly, highly recommend uh, if you are ready to go to be present with your intention and with your will and with your dreams for bringing in 2021 in a new way. Yes, I actually just worked with a client who began by saying something along the lines of, she wanted to understand what the chart would say about making small but crucial nourishing shifts in her regular life that would lead her towards transformation. And I was so happy to be uh, asked to help with that because that is like exactly what I believe that I'm doing and what I want to be doing for people. So um, all my workbooks are designed to help you make those shifts as well as, well as my one-on-one -on -one offerings. So thank you for listening and enjoy this Capricorn season forecast. Cheer. Okay, so now I'm going to share my take on the Capricorn season forecast. So as I like to repeat, remember that all versions of history, like all storytelling, and that includes forecasting the future, all versions of that kind of speaking and writing are subjective. They're, they're subjective to the person who is telling the story. And so remember that as you listen, that there are other ways to frame the astrology than the way that I do. And I can only speak from the position of what feels relevant to me, what feels to me important to talk about, what do I want to know for myself from this astrology, and how can I find language to speak honestly about what I see in ways that will be helpful to people. And so that's my aim, and I definitely recommend and encourage you to seek out other versions of this story so that you can feel into what feels most appropriate to you because to somebody else, they may see something that I, I don't see because it's not really something that's active for my eye to see. 
but maybe it would be important to you. So this isn't to diminish my voice so much as encourage um, a, a variety of voices in your learning of astrology and your take on astrology and your perspective of an astrological viewpoint. So, yes. So because I, I privilege the idea of cycles and patterns in my own self-healing work, I find a lot of help and a lot of grounding from being able to follow arcs of stories and to feel into where I am in a story. And thus, I really value beginning any look with um, a kind of overview of where we have been and what we're um, what we're already sitting in, like what we've what we're already walking in before I start speaking to um, the dates that I'm going to share for the forecast. So, and you know this if you have been listening. So let's just begin by grounding into like, okay, what's going on? <laughs> for many of you, if you listen at the beginning of the season, then you haven't, you've, you may have kind of like lost track with some of these, right? You know, like, oh yeah, I forgot that we were in that. So it's also helpful just, it's just like a recenter, realign here at the beginning. So the first thing that to me feels really important to recenter to is that we just moved through from the perspective of December 17th, which is the day that I'm speaking right now, from the, this position and from the position of the first day of Capricorn season, which is December 21st, we uh, are in a are in like the shadow period, the post period, the hangover period of an eclipse window. So let's speak a little bit about that. So before we come into an eclipse window, like when we're guessing how that might be, right? Like we, we can make a lot of guesses. We can know that it will be a lot. We can know that brain chemistry will be very active. We can know that there's going to be a lot of reveals and aha moments and potentially a lot of discomfort because evolving more quickly is not comfortable usually. And that's what happens between eclipses according to, according to astrology. And so now that we're on the other side of it, this is when we are, are really supported in doing some looking back. And so really thinking back to the, the two eclipses that we had over Sagittarius season um, with the new moon in Sagittarius being December 14th and the full moon being two months before that. Um, I believe it was November 30th, but I didn't actually write it down. Um, Thinking about what was coming up for us during those windows, particularly vis-a-vis Gemini Sagittarius themes, which I talked about last time. And then individually, we would want to look to the houses in our chart, in your chart where you have Gemini and Sagittarius, because that will help you locate more the spheres of life where you might feel activated, so to speak, or invited into learning experiences. So for myself, and I'll share this in case it resonates for you. Uh, I have Gemini and Sagittarius in my third and ninth houses. 
And so these are houses that have to do with learning, speaking, communicating, teaching, um, putting words out there and um, receiving words that are out there and how you make meaning and how you exchange ideas. And so um, being someone who's always been a kind of teacher personality, have a very strong teacher archetype in my makeup, and I also have a, an equally strong, if not stronger, student ar archetype in my personality, um, these are very active houses for me in my life because it's kind of where I chose to hang out. You know, it's like, this is where I want to be. <laughs> I want to be talking about ideas. I want to be listening. I want to be reading. I want to be in class forever and teaching class forever. So um, knowing that these eclipses were coming, it, um, I knew that I would probably be receiving things in this, this, this area of life, you know, but you, but you can't ever even know precisely what will show up. And so for me, um, what came up was, well, first of all, a lot of just fear. I noticed I had a lot of fear around um, speaking. I, ha I had a lot of fear about putting my ideas out there, just like, uh, it's kind of like this old, um, this old pattern of if I read something somebody else wrote and I think it's really good, I kind of freeze up like, ooh, they said that so well. So what, what could I possibly offer? And so there was just like a lot of circling around some imposter stuff and a lot of fear that um, what I might say has already been claimed by somebody else and that who's doing it way better than me. And... Um, and what that does when we move into that fear is we self-censor and we silence, you know? And then what happens is you can move into some shame because there's a part of you that knows, like, you do have something to say. You do have a thing, something to say. And this fear is, um, is not like allowing the spirit to run through the body. You know, it's not allowing one's beautiful essence to like move through and be um, uh, be heard. And then, so what can happen for me then is like a is a is the this like no now I'm in shame because there's a part of me that knows I had something to say and then I, I like missed a window and I didn't say it. And so I found myself in that loop, which I know really well from being in academic, academia a long time. And like I would think I was running on a great idea and then I would find an article or I'd find a book and somebody else who had written something very similar, but not the same, but similar. And they did a great job. And I would move into this like freeze zone of like, well, now what do I do? I guess I'm, I guess I have no ideas, you know? And so that loop then, uh, is one that I know really well. And so being in a life commitment now to noticing what I'm doing, my brain, which is very third house, nine house, a very Gemini Sag as well. I notice these patterns coming up and what seemed to really come forward on the latter half of the eclipse window with some clarity around this. And I, I wrote down in my journal that authenticity and curiosity are more important 
than knowing the answers to everything. And this really, too, is one of the powerful teachings of having this period where the north node of the eclipse is in Gemini. Don't worry if you don't know that vocab. Just follow the themes. This idea of like being in the humility of asking questions, being in the humility of like, I don't know, but I'm going to just throw a thing out and let's banter about it. What do you think about it? And being able to go back and forth with people for me has always been kind of a scary space because I would really love to claim that I know everything. (laughs) I hit a real period of disillusionment in my PhD program when I realized, whoa, 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 I'm almost done with coursework. I thought I was going to know everything by now. Like, I thought I was going to know everything. (laughs) Shoot, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to know everything by the time I finish this. You know, it was like, oh. Where you're sort of falling down the tunnel of like, wait, this is not what I thought it was. Um, And then you have to, you know, it was really about um, realizing that there is no solid ground of knowing everything, of having the answers, of being able to answer anything that someone might put to you. And if you want to be a teacher and if you want to be a guide for people and help people, just like reconciling with that, just being okay, you know? And, um, and it's so much more in integrity to be in a place of, I don't know, but let's keep talking about it than it is to like, uh, then make something up or to take somebody else's ideas so that you can be seen as if you have a, have an answer. Right. So, um, it was, it was actually a wonderful experience because I feel like I kind of did some retrieval of part of myself that is um, like the part of myself that I banished who is just this person that banters, who doesn't really know, that just likes talking. And um, I think people who know me well would be like, B, you, you're like that all the time. We like that about you. But there's still a part of me that feels like I could walk in more. You know, I could like go deeper into my Gemini qualities, which is the invitation right now, which is to just like be in the ideas, not necessarily having answers to things and being in contradiction and be in the questions. So um, it had me thinking about a passage that I had written about in the Gemini workbook I created where I leaned on a passage from Martin Shaw, the storyteller's amazing. Um, His book, Courting the Wild Twin, is essentially about this idea of retrieving some part of yourself that was like your twin that was checked out the window at birth and you're sort of always looking for this part of yourself. And I'll read that passage now to you then. And and this works because of course, Gemini, the symbol for Gemini is, is the twins. It's about these different parts of yourself. In his new book, Courting the Wild Twin, master storyteller Martin Shaw taps at the essence of the archetypal truth in all myths and stories about a lost and forgotten wild twin. He prompts us to remember the old tale shared across many cultures of the other child, quote unquote, who was chucked out the window or into the forests, 
sent into exile at the moment of our birth. This twin is the part of self we banish because it's too gnarly, undomesticated, dark, or otherwise perceived as unlovable. Shaw encourages us to invite our wild twin back home. Quote, I'm not sure we ever really properly catch up with our wild twin by matching sweaters. The pursuit is the thing. The glimpse is the thing. The jolt of their quixotic nature may be barometer enough for one lifetime, but never to search? Well, that's missing out on life altogether. And then I, then I write again, what is especially exciting about Shaw's framing of the lost twin paradigm is his emphasis on the idea that until we become conscious of them, our twin is looking for us, not the other way around. Shaw describes it thus, it wanders the woods and the prairies and the cities, lonely in its whole body for you. And then I say, in this way, I think all that stimulates us, all that we quest for, all that we seek with our Gemini self, consciously and also unconsciously, well, these are searching for us too, just as tirelessly. So, as my 11-year-old says all the time, so yeah, I'm going to put on a light. It's getting dark in this room and I can't see my writing. Um... I feel that the eclipses took me through a route that was very uncomfortable for a little while, but that sort of like allowed me to just come meet myself and, um, and absorb, you know, like integrate this, this part of myself that was just looking for me. And so I feel really excited by um the lessons that i got from that eclipse and i hope that you who are listening found some good nuggets for yourself and if you're not sure what those are you know just keep asking just keep listening and um think you know these things just actually show up they're like right under our noses it's like the actual conversations we were having the thing you dreamed about at night the thing you wrote in your journal the refrain that came forward for you in some way through a song or through a quote or through a show or something in conversation like the 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 lessons so to speak that um, the universe, quote unquote, is offering you are usually really just so right in front of you that you're not noticing them. And so the practice is to me really about just being really available to like, how interesting that this just showed up, you know, even in this most simple thing, like you overhear somebody in a checkout line, you know? Yes. So the next thing then, of course, is that Capricorn season begins with a lot of Sagittarius flavor to it because we um, are still under the, the shepherding, so to speak, of the Sagittarius new moon. So that was December 14th, and it was a solar eclipse, so very powerful eclipses are. Um, that was the day that the Electoral College met, and this I don't usually talk much about politics, but listeners, you may know or you might, fi might find it interesting that um, President Trump was born under that particular 
eclipse. He's an eclipse baby. And um, his that eclipse was happening in his fourth house, um, which usually suggests that somebody's like being, you know, moved out uh, of their home. I say that, but now that I'm thinking, he's Leo rising. So to me, that would be fifth house. I, I read somewhere something about it being his fourth house, but that person must be using a different house system than me. So scratch that from the record, this idea of him having to move houses. But generally, you know, since the ancients, eclipses are closely watched by kings and leaders of, of countries, and eclipses do often um, signal a change in the story of like who the leader is. So that's what actually came forward for us here in the U.S. <sighs> okay, so the lunar, that, that new moon, um, really, really, really beautiful new moon. I actually did the new moon ritual that I had suggested in my workbook. And I'll read a little bit about that now because if you're listening, you can always still do this as long as we're under the shepherding of a new moon and Sagittarius cycle. So I, I did want to share a little bit about it in case you don't have the workbook and you might be interested in playing with the ideas here because I feel really great about this particular ritual suggestion that I offer. So I call the ritual Live the Questions Now, which is a riff off of a, a section of Rainer Maria Rilke's lines from Letters to a Young Poet. Uh, Rilke is just a wonderful German writer, poet, and um, there's a million very wise things that he's said in this life, uh, in his life. So one passage that I love very much, I quote in the ritual section that I think will be a real great guiding post for all of us this cycle. And I've read from this before because I love it. Um, that was back in the spring. It's just a really great passage for 2020. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. Whew. Rilke was a Sag Sun and Mercury. I try to I try to find quotes that line up with the signs. Doesn't always work, but that one did. Um, I then share um, in a later letter, he wrote this passage, which I think is also very helpful. He says, your doubt may become a good quality if you train it. It must become knowing. It must become critical. Ask it whenever it wants to spoil something from you, for you. We're talking about doubt, right? Why something is ugly 
Demand proofs from it. Test it. And you will find it perplexed and embarrassed, perhaps, or perhaps rebellious. But don't give in. Insist on arguments and act this way, watchful and consistent every single time. And the day will arrive when from a destroyer, it will become one of your best workers. Perhaps the cleverest of all that are building at your life. (sighs) So this ritual is designed to deepen your knowing connection to Rilke's invitations to help you live Sagittarius more skillfully. So I designed this ritual around this idea of um, deepening into some of your questions that you have right now. And I did this. Um, This is a really, really beautiful ritual because there, there's tones to it that really set you up really well for Capricorn. Because um, Capricorn often struggles with that doubt and struggles with a lot of fear and really wants to know the answers. <laughs> so by deepening into the Sagittarius living the questions, you prepare your body to receive Capricorn with this um, connection to trusting in the in questions. Um, so questions you can ask yourself if you decide to do this ritual are like, what is unresolved in my heart? What are the questions I want answers to now? And really following the charge of that, like what is so, what vibrates in your body around needing to have this answer? And like, how can you, follow that charge how can you follow what you're learning from your body to help you understand like why you what you're longing for that makes it so frustrating that you don't have the answers um because then i prompt you eventually to and what i would suggest you might want to try is thinking about um what if i accept that i cannot know the answers because i am not ready what am I, what are the underlying desires in my questions? What am I hoping for? What am I longing for? Why? What do I imagine these desires will bring me? And then feeling into that longing. And then the rest of the ritual is about growing and feeling inside of you the growing intensity of your longing just like grow it and grow it and feel it as fire sign sag you know feel it like a burning and it's coming up inside of your body just the sense of how powerful your longing is and so when I did this what I was really hearing is this idea is rather than like live the questions I heard live the longing live the longing And if you live the longing every day, it helps to melt those questions and help you know what to do so that you're not bound up in doubt or bound up in fear that you just don't know the answers yet. But connecting to that longing is really, really powerful um, because it helps get you through the work ahead and the not knowing ahead. What I wrote down for myself is that my biggest fear is that people don't want what I have to offer. And then I connected to my biggest hope 
to be in skillful service in ways that are wildly, broadly beloved. And so what's powerful there is something that I already know, and this is why I I like to have a a tarot position in my larger spread for hopes and fears being the same thing, because our hopes and fears are the same thing. You know, um, you hope it, and then you have a fear tied to it. Um, And the more you understand that you're doing this, the more you can put your consciousness around that and notice if you get in the way of your hope because there's fear there. Hmm. I find that right now is really the time to be in this to be in like an imaginal realm and an, an imaginal space because so much is changing. The 2022 astrology is really shifting out. Today as I um, is the first full day that Saturn has moved into Aquarius after having been in Capricorn since December 2017. This is not a place where I'm going to talk all about like the larger astrology changes between the years. I'm hoping to do something in the weeks to come, maybe in more of like a, a workshop format around that. So stay tuned. But um, that's a huge change, like huge um everything's just kind of loosening up breaking up and the party shifting and it's a beautiful time to take that Sagittarius new moon energy into possibilities for yourself and for your life and for the collective into a zone of um what you would like to imagine bound up in what are you longing for what are you longing for not what Society says you should long for, not what your parents said you should long for, but what do you most long for? And that really means being deeply um, connected to listening to yourself and listening to your body, which is, which are, is always telling you the truth. Hmm. So all of that would be really helpful to do before the solstice, the day of Capricorn season's beginning, on Monday the 21st. So right now, as I said, Saturn's moved into Aquarius and then on Saturday, Jupiter moves into Aquarius. And so um, this is a really powerful time to know and name what you've been learning, especially like broadly since December 2017 when Saturn moved into Aquarius and we were having eclipses in Capricorn and the opposing sign of Cancer from the summer of 2018 until this past summer. And then especially what you've been learning in 2020, which kind of like brought a lot of peaking to all of those lessons. So I shared on Instagram and I share in my Capricorn workbook. I've also shared in the Magic Monday podcast some like a one sentence invitation for each rising sign for what I feel you were invited into over 2018 to 2020 in this realm of um, Saturn and Capricorn. And uh, let me read these to you. And if it rings true for you, then you can use that sentence as a starting place for doing some 
journaling, some contemplating, having conversations with people, where you really allow yourself to understand fully what you learned and what you went through so that you understand the tools and skills that you've been growing and developing. And, and you just like have a sense that you have them. So for Aries rising, to accept that achievement and doing it all will not bring me the healing I desire. Oh, and before I, on the page before, I share that it's my presumption that we all want to have a healing revolution. <laughs> Maybe not everyone wants a healing revolution, but I presume that people in my sphere want a healing revolution. And so this is why each one uh, recognizes what will not bring the healing I desire. And then so, so as you listen to it, realize what you are realizing will bring you the healing your desire. All right, so Aries rising again to accept that achievement and doing it all will not bring me the healing I desire. This was very, this is, this was a real bummer for the Aries rising that I am to um, reckon with and I, I get it now. Taurus rising to accept that trying to control the unknown and the chaos of life will not bring me the healing I desire. Gemini rising, to accept that repressing and hiding the fullness of my truth will not bring me the healing I desire. Cancer rising, to accept that constantly denying my own needs in order to serve other people will not bring me the healing I desire. Leo rising, to accept that perfectionism is not a path that will bring me the healing I desire. Virgo rising, to accept that putting boundaries around how much joy and love I let in will not bring me the healing I desire. Libra rising, to accept that seeking deep roots of foundational support outside of myself will not bring me the healing I desire. Scorpio rising, to accept that silencing my voice for fear that my truth will make people uncomfortable will not bring me the healing I desire. Sagittarius rising, to accept that seeking external sources of security and rhythm will not bring me the healing I desire. Capricorn rising, to accept that a harsh internalized critic and fear of failure will not bring me the healing I desire. Aquarius rising, to accept that pushing through life without rest, healing, and dreaming will not bring me the healing I desire. Pisces rising, to accept that the narrative that I don't belong or have something worthy to contribute will not bring me the healing I desire. Because I think we get hooked on, if I just do this thing, then, right? Like, then everything will be okay. Then I'll be safe. Then I'll be enough. Then I'll be validated then I'll like myself and I'll like my life, you know? And the humbling aspect of this Saturn and Capricorn couple of years, healing the inner critic is what I call it, has really been about having to just lay those, lay, lay some of that down, just like, I get it. It's not going to bring me the healing I desire to think that if I do it all and I achieve everything, that I'll be okay? No, 
That's not what's going to make me okay. <laughs> mm, it's kind of a bummer, right? Because like, oh, if I could just get to that then, right? And that's why the ego really has to do some bending in order to receive that wisdom fully. Okay, now we are up to Capricorn season. I'm going to check the time. Okay. (laughs) So Capricorn season begins like all cardinal signs with an important point on the wheel of the year. So every cardinal sign, that's Aries, Cancer, Libra, and Capricorn, uh, initiate a new season. They are initiatory signs. The cardinal signs are initiating energy. They like to start things. They like to get things going. They like to reach out. So what does Capricorn initiate? It initiates winter, and it does that on a particular day known as the winter solstice, which is the longest night of the year in the Northern Hemisphere and the longest day of the year in the Southern Hemisphere. And this is all reversed, of course, in when cancer season begins, the polar sign of Capricorn at the beginning of summer. Um, so... Capricorn then is deeply tied to like what it means to initiate um, winter and, and, and it's tied to like what does winter solstice mean? Um, and so it's really poignant to me, the winter solstice. Um, it has a lot to do with the transition between Sagittarius and Capricorn. Sagittarius being about lighting up our lighting up ourselves with that longing, with what we want to reach for, with what we want to seek, with our stargazing, with lifting our bow and arrow and aiming towards what we want. It's the longing, it's the fire of our longing and that feels optimistic and hopeful. And why is it so important that we connect to this in Sagittarius season? Because it's the darkening, darkening time for the Northern Hemisphere. It's like our our pre-industrial ancestors, fire was so important. It was not only physically important to the body for warmth and like sustaining life, but it, and for cooking food, but also for sustaining the spirit, being able to stare into the fire, tell stories around the fire, sing into the fire, um, call things forth in this fire, right? Tell, feel into myth and greater things with the fire. The big stories, why we should stay alive. Why are we even doing this, right? So Sag helps us feel into like, why am I living? Like, what, what is that? What is the fire that keeps me alive? And the solstice is like the brink. It's the precipice. It's you, you made it. You made it to the precipice. It's gonna get warmer. It's gonna get brighter. Not for a while, but it's turning. It's turning. It's not getting darker and darker anymore. And so Sag calls you into that longing to get to the other side. So a quote that I use in the Capricorn workbook 
um, talking about the winter solstice is from Paul Valéry, the French poet, who wrote, Le vent se lève, il faut tenter de vivre, which translates to, the wind rises, we must try to live. And to me, that's really about all that Sage was helping you connect to, to lift your heart. I read a lot of Paul Valéry growing up because I took French, but I know the quote from the most beautiful film ever, The Wind Rises by Hayao Miyazaki, the Japanese anime director, who I love very much and who is a Capricorn. And it was his last film. And his films are almost always about flight. He's very inspired by flight as a metaphor for the human spirit and for longing. And so his last film is just a sweet, uh, very touching and tender story about uh, a young man who dreamed of airplanes and then became an airplane designer. I won't tell you the rest. You have to see it. Um, Le vent se lève, the wind rises. And that's what the winter solstice is really about. It's, to me, it's uh, connecting to your spirit and why it wants to live. I always get really, really um, moved talking about it. And... um, So I did want to share, I had written down, looks like my notes show that this was October 18th. Um, I had a moment and I just went to my journal and wrote it down and I'm bringing it back now. I decided I wanted to live and to live meant I had to heal and to heal, I had to make changes. And to make changes, I needed new tools. And so that's really what astrology and the cycles have helped me do, is the, the excitement I feel for the tools and how they've helped me heal have helped me to feel very, very, very connected to why I love living um, and what the wind that rises in me is and why I'm talking right now. (laughs) So thank you for being with me. So at the solstices and equinoxes, because Aries begins the spring equinox and Libra begins the fall equinox, this is when I really do my deep journaling about looking back and then looking ahead. But winter solstice being such a busy time, kids home, family obligations, trying to pull it all together, trying to make it all possible, I really do allow it to be quite a long window to take me into the beginning of what the Gregorian calendar would say is the new year. Um, And so really Capricorn season, like the first whole, like all of Capricorn season to me really is about 
um, looking back and then looking ahead, um, which is why I created Seeding the Year Workbook because it's just so powerful as a period for setting intentions. And so um, I invite you, starting now all the way through Capricorn season, don't just look ahead. Like, please look back. It's so informative. It's so helpful to really track what you were learning in each of those quarters uh, and, and name and honor and know that what you've gone through and what you've passed through and what you're not wanting to bring with you and what you do want to bring with you. And the winter solstice can be a beautiful time to do a ritual where you do just that. You sort of like throw into the fire everything that uh, is going to stay behind, you know, write it down on a piece of paper and throw it in the fire and then dance out a sense of like what you are calling in with the longing in your heart. Um, so the new moon, I mean, the winter solstice is really like a new moon for the whole year. So we're a space of blank sheet of paper where all possibilities exist. And so Capricorn season really has that like hardcore work quality. So much of that's because it's got like that waxing energy of taking what you've, um, put in your heart as what you want to grow, what you're seeding, and then doing the thing, like trying to make it happen. So we usually associate January with like discipline, pulling it together, like, uh, you know, because it feels hard because you're hardening down into um, like what you want to get done and trying to like make amends for what you were feeling that, um, you know, what you may not have liked that you brought over with you from the pre previous years. Why it's really good to do a lot of that shadow work where you recognize like what you don't want to bring with you. And let me just cut to the chase here and t give you a, like a sneak peek about a lot of what Capricorn's about. You have to work through your shame and you have to work with your inner critic and you have to um, you don't have to, you can do whatever you want. But for me, working with Capricorn has to do with recognizing that shame does not get you anywhere unless it's good shame, the kind that motivates you. So I have a lot about shame in the Capricorn workbook as well, because uh, it's been a huge part of my healing path, working with shame. And um, it's a big aspect of working with the devil card, which is the card we associate with Capricorn. And on the other side of working with shame is huge, huge, huge liberation, uh, lots of autonomy, lots of freedom, lots of owning your own authority, all the really good Capricorn stuff. So I love Capricorn. It's my moon sign. I'm so proud of the workbook that I wrote. Uh, it's one of the best things I've ever written in my whole life. Uh, and I've written a lot in my life. What I share there is really, really good and really powerful. And you don't need any placements in Capricorn to get a lot from it. If what I'm saying sounds like something you, you would enjoy having or that you need. <laughs> so what was I talking about? I was talking about the winter solstice, guys, because it's so big this year. This day... 
is the day that Jupiter and Saturn come together. It's called the Great Conjunction in astrology. It happens every 20 years. Up until modern astrology and modern technology, we didn't know um, astronomy, I should say. We didn't know that there was something beyond Saturn. There are some instances of people guessing so, but Saturn was the limit and Jupiter was the thing before that. So when the two of those came together, they were like the big guys coming together in the sky. Many people have been tracking it. like They've been talking about it in the news. I've been watching this all year, this dance between Jupiter and Saturn, and maybe you have too. It's very exciting to see this visual like there it is, you know, we're, we're not making this stuff up. <laughs> they're coming together and they're beginning something for us. Jupiter being about expansion and Saturn being about contraction, things I've talked about elsewhere. This is like birth, contra, uh, birth canal energy where we, um, Jupiter invites us into the visioning where all possibilities exist. We're super enthusiastic with Jupiter. And Saturn's the part of us that says, yeah, but how are we gonna do that? Like, how actually, like how really can you get that done? And then so Saturn says, okay, I'll, I'll do the work. I'll do the work for the dream. I'll do the work to make that possibility thing a reality. So it's a really powerful time <gasps> to be in, uh, a space of like not limiting what's possible for you and what's not limiting what's possible for all of us because every individual is a part of the collective. We cannot be separated. So the more people who are, you know, deeply, consciously, intentionally with this, and so, so many are, the more we can together push back against like what felt previously encrusted over and impossible, you know? It's very exciting. I invite you to set all of your dreams to the high dial of including everyone, you know? Not just yourself, because the more you expand out to be inclusive, the more likely the universe is like wanting to work with you, really. Um, so that's going to be at zero Aquarius. Uh, I think it's zero two nine, but I didn't write it down. Um, so yes, if you have any planets or points around the first degree of Aquarius or opposite in Leo or square in Scorpio or Taurus, this would be really, really big for your chart. Um, like you, you probably already know what it is because it's whatever is here. You don't have to look very hard. To, to see what the astrology is trying to tell you. It's right in front of you. This is, you, are you listening? Are you, are you gonna accept the invitation? Um, how can you do this the most skillfully, the most expansively, the most enthusiastically, the most buoyantly, and receive this invitation and then go do the work because Saturn wants you to go do the work. Hmm. Okay, so, you know, this is a real long-range planner, you know, like sometimes when I'm talking about what's going on astrologically, it's like for this cycle or for this season. It's not, um, it's not so big, but this is really something that's like, oh, no, this is a long-range plan. Like this is a big thing. This is, 
this is um, being seeded now and it may not immediately begin to show itself, but the more you connect to your true will and to your heart and to your longing authentically for real, like feel the fire of it, the more it will be likely to happen for you because that's just how things work. Hmm. Okay. So I'm going to move beyond the solstice and get deeper into Capricorn season now. Some things I wanted to mention on December 22 and then 23, we have a couple Mars related happenings. The first is that Mars will be together in the sky in Aries with Eris, which is, I believe it's categorized as a dwarf planet. It's out, um, far out planet recently discovered. Eris is kind of like the um, feminine embodiment of warrior energy. Um, And Eris can bring out our sacred rage. Like when we are just not happy at the unfair thing the unjust thing, the uncool thing. And Mars also likes to fight and to assert and to be aggressive. And Mars and Aries, Eris, have been having meetups this in 2020, August 17th and October 3rd. So it's it's worthwhile to think about, um, and I and I didn't bring I didn't write down the degree that they're going to be at, but if I had to guess, I would say it's around 23 um, because that's kind of where Eris has been hovering this year. Um, So this is is in the territory zone of the Mars retrograde that we had across the fall. So if you have anything in the early 20s of Aries or opposite in Libra or square in Capricorn in, in Cancer, then... Things just may come forward, especially in the space of your life where you have Aries, where there's just tension. And then the very next day, Mars is square Pluto. This is the third of three. The first one was August 13th. The next one was October 9th. So be looking for a storyline between those dates. This is why journaling is really helpful because you can actually go to those pages and say, oh, that was the day I was dealing with such and such. And then you can locate the pattern that you're living and get to the bottom of it. Like, what's the arc here? This is number three of three, so this should be the resolution of it. This should be the closing out of like, I get it. I get what I've been learning. So if you do that, then you can use those dates that way. Tuesday, December 29th at 9.28 p.m. Central Time, we have a full moon in Cancer at 8 degrees, 53 minutes, And um, that means that the sun will be at 8 degrees, 53 minutes of Capricorn. So if you have anything around the 8 degrees of Cancer and Capricorn, it will be involved in the full moon. I've always found Cancer full moon to be very weepy, kind of sentimental. It works well because, you know, we tend to be with family at that time. Um, Cancer being 
our most sensitive part of who we are, wherever you have cancer in your chart and you have cancer in your chart, that is the part of you that's the most sensitive and um, the most wants to belong, you know? And so I often find that it's not, it doesn't have to be like a hard, a hard full moon. It has been the last couple of years because of the astrology of Cancer and Capricorn. Because last year it was an eclipse and the year before it was an eclipse. This is the first year that we can have a full moon in Cancer and it's not an eclipse after a few years. So, you know, make it a Cancer kind of experience, like cozy on up in your blankets. Mm, Look at old photos. Just like give yourself what you need. What do you need? Soothe yourself, self-soothing, self-care. Don't be with people who tend to make you feel tender or like you don't fit in or like trigger your insecurities. Definitely don't do that on this full moon um, for self-care. This takes us back to January 10th of 2020 when we had our full moon in Cancer at the beginning of the year. So the first and last full moons of 2020 are full moons in Cancer. So it is, in many ways, the bookend to the year. And I invite you to take yourself back to January 10th and what was going on then and really measure where you are now with whatever was coming up. It was a very percolating time, January 10th, for so many people. See where you are with that story and celebrate and honor how far you've come with it. And just, you know, just be with yourself. It's going to be squaring Chiron, the wounded healer, which is an Aries. So it kind of, to me, has this triangular family of quality of like Cancer Capricorn being like inner mother, inner father, and the Aries being like the little tyke, you know, in you. And so I'm wondering, too, if there's something there around holding yourself at different ages and in different archetypal qualities around your own inner sense of family, you know, how you talk to yourself from these different positions. And again, asking yourself, what do I need? Thursday, December uh, 31, so New Year's Eve. Um, It's kind of an interesting day because... We'll have a Leo moon opposite Saturn and Jupiter and Aquarius, and then they're squaring Uranus. Um, Saturn and Jupiter won't be directly squaring, but just by sign and somewhat close. Um, So it could be a day to make some brave moves. It could be a day where things feel uh, heated in some way. Um... So there's this window of time then through um, through the next few days where the moon is in Leo and then we have Mars in Aries. It's the last degrees of Aries. It's been in Aries since the end of June. And then we have Venus in Sagittarius. So there's kind of a window of days around there where um, there's a lot of fire energy to feel into, to feel into some um, 
what you want to get done. But I think on the 31st, like, I don't know, there's that, that's a lot in fixed signs, like stubborn parts of yourself, stubborn parts of other people. Um, so I'm just, I'm just going to put that out there in case something comes up. January 6th, which is a Wednesday, Mars will enter Taurus. So this is, a, again, bringing in a lot of new energy. Big shift we've had, as I just said, Mars and Aries since the end of June. That's a really long time. Mars is usually only in a sign for a month and a half, two months. Um, it will be in Taurus till March 3rd. And so this is just really slowing things down to me because Taurus is fixed earth and it's just so much slower moving than uh, Aries. Uh, fire will move to earth. So after fire being in fire elementally because Aries is fire sign and Mars is associated with fire because it's a red planet. So Again, we're welcoming in a lot of new energy, shifts in qualities. Things are just going to feel different. Everything that you've been working on with that Mars retrograde, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it or feel frustrated. But I know a lot of listeners who know what I'm talking about and have a very clear idea of what Mars retrograde has been like for them. And just it's really, again, a great time to know what you learned and name it because that lesson window is passing. So January 12th and 13th, which is um, Tuesday, Wednesday, depending on where you are on the mainland uh, or in Hawaii uh, of um, the United States, that will be the new moon in Capricorn. So that um, is going to be at 23 degrees of Capricorn. The sun and the moon will come together. Pluto will be only one degree away. So Pluto will be at 24. So to me, this is like the real hot zone of 2020, this early 20s uh, zone of Capricorn. So this, this new moon is coming in like... To me, it has a really empowering quality of rebirth in like the, the, the same place where some part of you died. Um, I don't mean to say that in a harsh way. I, I really mean it in a Phoenix-like way of there being parts of you that died this year um, because they had to. And... You know what I mean. So I'm wondering if this new moon is just going to have a really like cathartic quality. It could be intense though because Pluto's so involved. So it's depending on your relationship to Pluto, if you know what I mean. If you don't, just follow my language. If you have a relationship with Pluto and you work with Pluto trials, Pluto journeys. I think that this new moon could be really, really empowering for you because you, if you drop down into that intensity with it and really call in like a cleansing purification in a place and in a zone of yourself that you've now... Um, 
you've died to in some way, or like you, you're just not that person anymore. And now there's been a lot of loss and there's been a lot of death to things in our lives that we are mad about and we would give anything to have back and it's horrible and it feels terrible and we don't like it at all, right? But I think most people can identify that there are areas where they really had to confront themselves and they're glad they did, you know? They're like, I'm really glad I got to die off that part of me. I'm glad I got to destroy myself there. Because in that destruction, you have space for creation. You've, you've, um, you've made space for energy to do something with. And it is with the energy that bubbled forth from destruction that you are now able to make something new for yourself. And so I think it could be just like really deep experience um, that that new moon to to call that in, to call that in, and uh, you know, goal goal keyword keyword empowerment. You know, not power over empowerment. What is being, what has been released for you that serves your empowerment? And let that new moon in Capricorn really tap into that generative quality so that it can serve your work. All right. Mm-hmm. The 13th on Wednesday. Then we have Mars in Taurus squaring Saturn in Aquarius at the three degree. They squared from Aries and Capricorn twice, August 24th and September 29th. But this is going to be a very different vibe from those learning experiences because both of them are now squaring from different positions. Um, Mars and Saturn are what are called the malefics in astrology. Malefic meaning like from the root mal, referencing to like they bring hard stuff. But just like a lot of things, some of our hardest teachers give us the most enriching and empowering life lessons. Mars does not, Mars and Saturn do not enjoy being square each other because Mars likes to do things and, and follow the impulse and Saturn likes to go slow and be methodical and like create rules and structures and do things over long term. So Mars square Saturn is often like butting your head against a wall. Um, and in 2020, Mars brought a lot of powerful foreshadowing of what later things we're going to look like. And Mars is coming to this square with Saturn before we're going to be seeing Saturn squaring Uranus, which is going to be a huge theme of 2021, which I'll talk about elsewhere. So I'm very curious to see what starts to come up around the 13th with this square, because I feel like coming off 2020, Mars is a really interesting 
uh, and um, qualified harbinger, you know, like a, a preview a master of what things look like that square Saturn. And uh, Saturn and um, Taurus and Aquarius are both fixed signs. So that's the middle signs of seasons. The fixed signs tend to be more obstinate and more stubborn. And they like to do things um, over the long term in a deep way. And so what this can feel like is two very stubborn qualities of yourself trying to do different things. Um, So, and collectively that's going to show up. So I don't know. I I really don't know what that's going to look like. I, I think I'll start to sense it once I sense what Mars and Taurus feels like. But right now, um, it potentially could feel like something a little more of not into change, like a fighting, the fight in us that does not want things to change, Mars and Taurus, squaring off against the part of us that wants to get to work for progress. I'm just going to throw that out there then. Um, So I think that's going to be a big preview point. January 14th, then Uranus turns direct. So um, Uranus has been retrograde for quite some time. And what this means to me is that Uranus is ready to become more active in the part it's going to play this year. We have forward motion again. And in the next Aquarius season, astrology, I'll talk a lot about Uranus and a lot about Uranus and Saturn because that's when they're going to begin their dance. Hmm. That same day, Saturn is, is together conjunct Pluto in the sky. So this happens once a year when the sun, did I say Saturn? I meant the sun comes to Pluto. So the sun will come to the degree in Capricorn where Pluto is. So wherever Pluto is, this only happens once when the sun is in that sign where Pluto happens to be. So the last time Pluto and the sun were together was January 13th. Then the sun and Pluto were square April 14th. They were opposite July 15th. They were square October 15th. And now they're together again. Those dates all tended to be pretty hard. Um, In my life, in the collective news, in conversations with clients and students. Um, So... I would just like, what I like to do for bad, potentially hard days is like make a note of it in my planner so that I just have a way to contextualize what I'm experiencing of like, oh yeah, sun, sun conjunct Pluto. Okay, here it is. I knew this was coming. I'm like making space for this, you know, maybe just don't have as much going on so that whatever's coming up that feels hard, you just have more space to like not be so obligated to like serve other people when you really want to serve yourself and finally on january 17th which is a sunday we have jupiter then squaring uranus um yes jupiter square uranus with the moon in pisces answering to that jupiter on inauguration day
And I'm like fully walking to the other room to my notes, my other notes, to be totally sure <laughs> that I, I wrote that down correctly because there's a part of me that's like, no, um, it is. It is Jupiter square Uranus. Um, yeah, so this again, I think is going to be teaching us a lot about what these Aquarius Taurus squares are going to be about this year. Um, that's coming in really close to the inauguration. Um, that's Martin Luther King weekend. Um, Moon in Pisces is very emotional. It's collective emotion. Um, so we'll all be feeling a lot of whatever it is that seems to be coming forth. And um, what would be wonderful is that it's like a swelling of progress meets awakenings in um, earth care and like uh, biotechnology that helps all of us and like technology that serves our health um, integrative health news, things like this. But I mean, I'm not a predictor, but I'm wondering too if again it's clashes between um, between those who don't want change and those who do. And it could be both. And it could be nothing that I said because at the personal level, it will also be about the houses where you have Taurus and Aquarius. Because the houses where you have Taurus and Aquarius are going to be very, very active for you this year, whether you have planets there or not. So if you know your chart or you have a picture of it and you can, if you know the meanings of those houses or you, and those are easily Googleable things and I help you with things like that in my workbooks, you can begin to deepen into a lot of self-inquiry and you can also stay attuned to what seems to be coming up vis-a-vis -vis those houses and how they relate to each other. Wherever we have houses at a 90 degree angle like that, tend to be houses that like don't really see each other very well. And so we do a lot of like pivoting between different parts of ourselves with the houses where we have that are at 90 degree angles from one another. And it will be like that for a lot of the year. And the idea is to try to deepen into how to get these parts of ourselves to talk to each other, to go out on a date, to go dancing, <laughs> and, and like stop being myopic about not seeing these other things in ourselves, you know? Same with collective. Well, I hope that that uh, forecast is helpful to you. I hope that it serves you well over time. I definitely recommend listening to chunks of it again, you know, at, when they're more alive in real time so that it, things will make more sense to you when you're actually living this stuff. Really appreciate you uh, sharing with me how much you are enjoying these these forecasts. That's why I'm still doing them. Um, I, I love being of service. So thank you. If you receive a lot and appreciate what I share with you here, I appreciate the time that it takes me to put this together and to deliver it. I would really be grateful if you would rate or review the podcast. Thank you so much.